right, all right. We're going to be continuing our series through the book of Joshua. The sermon series is called God Fulfills His Promises. And we're going to close out the, uh, the back half of chapter 5, and we're going to go through chapter 6 tonight. Um, the title of today's sermon is The Commander of the Lord's Army. Uh, and so that is what we're going to be focusing on throughout this particular sermon. Uh, you're going to notice just two levels to this teaching. One is uh, there is a talk with the Lord before there is an action with the Lord. And I just want to let you know, this has been something of a treat for me. Um, when I was growing up, back when I was getting all of my theology from the picture Bible, did anybody have one of those growing up? Joshua was like my favorite part of the picture because it was, it was always action, right? There was always a battle. There was always a, a war sequence, and I, I was really excited about that. But what I didn't know as a young man that I do know now, having gone through the book of Ephesians, is I'm finding that the book of Joshua is a perfect companion to the book of Ephesians. And so the reason why uh, I think this is a right time for us to read it, to learn about the blessings of the Lord, is that it comes through application. You understand the first five books of the Bible is God's word to his people. It was an instruction to the nation of Israel on how to be a people of the Lord, how to conduct themselves in every situation, whether it would even be spiritually or legally um, or even the civil service, anything like that. It's all in there, right? And now we finally get to the book of Joshua, and now we're going to see how that word in that direction is to be applied. And you're going to see that as we walk through that. In fact, I want to show you just some of the companion verse that comes from Ephesians. We just closed out Ephesians 6. If you look at verse 18, verse 18, it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Uh, that's an interesting verse because if you look at the very beginning of that verse, it says, Pray in the Spirit on all all occasions. It doesn't actually say pray all the time because you wouldn't be able to focus at all, you know, on every single thing that you were doing. You might burn the pancakes or you might not, you know, be able to pay attention to the kids when they ask you a million questions or whatever, drive. But what it's saying is pray through all the different situations of your life. I want you to see how this next portion of Josh's, Joshua, uh, his, his story goes. So look, join me with Ephesians, uh, sorry, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And this is how this next section opens. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? And I love this response. Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua uh, fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So I love this particular verse because most of the time when you go into this kind of a scripture, uh, when somebody announces themselves as a messenger from the Lord, uh, the person in the Bible, you could see it all throughout, uh, even when John was getting the, the uh, revelation of the book of Revelation, right? He, you know, angels would come and he would bow down before them and he would say, oh my Lord, and they would be like, no, you're going to get us both fired. I'm an angel. Uh, if you do this, immediately I get kicked off the job. Um, but what he's saying here is that, that you can see right now, the commander does not correct Joshua. So this is actually the Lord meeting with Joshua before the battle of Jericho. And I love how he announces himself. If you go back to verse uh, 13, he says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? I love God's response. In some of your translations, it might say no. He doesn't even, it's not even like a great answer, right? It's like, are you, are you for that guy or are you for us? No, I'm not for either. In fact, uh, he's saying, I, I need you to look a little bit different. The, the calling isn't what you want or what they want. It's what I want. I'm, I'm about to do something in your life. I'm about to do something in my nation that I am forming. And I want to let you know, I'm announcing myself as not just God, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And I just think that's amazing because he doesn't announce himself as the commander of the army of Israel. Or he doesn't announce himself as the commander of the army that Joshua is, is, is leading. He's saying, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. You need to start aiming higher when you walk into these battles. You're looking a little too low. And you understand that when we go into the book 
of Joshua, when we go into the Bible, sometimes we can get lost and be like, this is the history of Israel. But it's not. It's the history of God. The, the whole story of the Bible is the story of God. And if that were the case, if it were the case that the book of, or the Old Testament and the books that were in were an account of the history of Israel, there would be a lot more stuff in here that would be a lot more boring. Be, there'd be whole sections of Israel's history that did not include God. And it would be all of their folly. But what we see is everything that's included in the Bible is the way that the Lord has planned out his will in the people of Israel's life, but also our life. And that we stand by his will and we move forward by his grace. That's the only time that Israel is successful. And so what we're going to see as we move forward uh, into this battle, we're going to look at three truths that are applied from this opening moment that Joshua shares with God. So the first is the importance of power in prayer. I want you to see the first one. Prayer reminds us to follow God's will. There's an alignment that is happening between us. We need to walk into the situation and we need to be open and honest with God. Um, there's many of a time that I haven't opened up a prayer with like, oh, heavenly father, oh, majestic king of heaven. Sometimes I've opened up the prayer with, hey, today stinks. Today is the worst. Like I've opened up a prayer like that. But ultimately what prayer does is to align us back into will of the Father and see what he wants. Because sometimes I can go into my prayer and go, Lord, what are you going to do about this guy? And he's like, no. Well, what about me? No, I'm about to do something bigger. I'm about to do something better. And that's just to let you know that God's not going to respond impulsively to your demands, even though you might feel that it's pressing. Even though you might feel pressed in on all sides, you have to now take an objective view outside of that spiritually and look back in. God is no genie. God is not going to do what we want him to do all the time. And that can be super frustrating. And you know, I, I've done that many times. I've started with a prayer. Lord, if you do this, I'll do that. God's not negotiating. We are not entering a, a line in our, in our story going, and then God showed up. We are a line that is entering into God's door and he has graciously allowed us to be woven into his plans. And understand this, that when you look at this verse, we have to see that Joshua is doing something. And it's kind of amazing too, this prayer moment that they're having, like this meeting with God, Joshua didn't plan for even the meeting to go this way. He didn't even plan for the meeting. Who showed up? God showed up and said, this day, I am the Lord's, I'm the commander of the Lord's army, and I want you to stop putting your eyes on the temporal that's in front of you. I want you to look at what's eternal. And that's where our plans and our strategies need to align back to God. For us to move forward in God's will, we must be aligned to God's will. And this brings us to our next point. Prayer reminds us to rely on God's power. This is the, probably the most difficult thing for me to do is to not be able to sit and wait for God to show me his power, but me to try and get ahead of God and show him how success looks. Hey, if you would just meet me over here, God, and if you would just join me, if I could take your power and put it in my hands so that I can do what I want to do, then we would really get somewhere. And the Lord's like, you don't even understand. You have nothing. Without me, you have nothing. And just think about this for Joshua. Does he have anything? He's about to go walk towards the oldest city at this particular time that has been fortified and has survived many, many wars. They have seen other armies other than Israel. And let you know, this is what Joshua has. Joshua has no siege weapons. What does he have? He doesn't even have warriors. He has the sons of slaves that are not trained in warfare that have been walking around the desert eating pancakes and chicken, Quail and manna, that's all he's been eating, right? And on top of that, I don't know if you remember, they just recently got circumcised. And just not to be like a medical doctor up here, the healing of a man that is circumcised is different than the healing of a baby. So he's really, really down bad. And so what does he have when he goes into this battle? The commander of the Lord's army of heaven. And so the Lord is going to say to him, when we move forward, we're going to move forward in my power. Because in truth, I've brought more warriors than you have, Joshua. And so we have to take a moment in our prayer life to align ourselves, not to just God's will, but to his power. And we have to take that ability to say, you know what? I'm not really going to move the needle in this battle. I'm not going to be a deciding factor. God is. 
I want you to see how this plays out. Look at verse 6. And it says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites, and no one went out and no one came in. Uh, I just want to give you like an image of what this looks like. We're going to look at a picture uh, of the city of Jericho. I want to show you, I, I, I looked at a documentary and it was really phenomenal. This is like on the slope of a mountain. And so Israel would be coming up against this. Remember, they have no warriors. They have no siege weapons. I don't know if you watch any medieval movies like, you know, when they bring those big towers and ladders and they try to scale the walls. They don't even have that. But if they did... If they managed to make it past that first wall, they would be stuck in between the first wall and the second wall, which is where the enemy would just rain down havoc on top of them. They would just bring tar and pitch and arrows and spears and everything else, boulders and rocks, and just crush them. And so this is what Joshua is up against. And I don't know if you know anything about being a general, but you have to kind of inspire hope. Hey, we got a bunch of slingshots. Let's run at a wall. That's what Joshua has. Praise the Lord that the Lord showed up that morning to go, hey, by the way, I'm with you. I'm going in. And so look, I want you to see this picture. If we could leave that up, I want you to see verse two. And then the Lord said to Joshua, and I love this first word that he says, see, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Isn't that amazing? What, how do I see that? Can't see it physically, but I can definitely see it spiritually because who's gonna stand up against God? I might have a huge problem. I might have a huge Jericho in front of me, but that Jericho has to face my God, not just me. Look at this. Along with its king and its fighting men, march around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, and everyone straight in. So verse six, I love this. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, March around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. I love this verse because Joshua, you got to understand that it's not in the text, but he's got to be thinking, we're going to do what? I'm going to take a bunch of guys who just recently got circumcised with some rocks and some sticks, and we're going to walk around this thing for an hour every day and blow some trumpets. But if you look at it, there's no hesitation. He goes forward with faith because you said look, there's nothing in between verse five and verse six. He goes, hey, let's do it. The Lord said it, let's move. And I love this because this is true faith. True faith looks like obedience. Now what it isn't is blind faith because has Joshua seen miracles before? Has he seen the power of the Lord at work before? Understand that Joshua was there when they left Egypt. Joshua was there when God destroyed the Egyptian army. Armies, that's not a problem for God. So if God says, go, go, we walk through an ocean, the ground was dry, we went through the other side, it split open for us, the Egyptians went in and all of a sudden the ground was wet. And they got stuck and God collapsed the ocean on top of them. And you've all seen Prince of Egypt, it's amazing, right? And so what I love is that it's not blind faith, it's true faith because it doesn't just believe in God, it believes God at his word. You can't just say, like, I know God is real, I know he is true, but I don't really know if he means that for me. No, when he speaks and he's speaking to you and he's speaking to the, the people of God, if he's speaking through a scripture, he goes, well, if he said it's true, then it's true because he is truth. I want you to also notice there's that number seven, right? You see seven priests and seven marches around uh, the, the, the building, around the wall, and then they blow, right? The, the trumpets, and it's just an idea of that when God is saying this, and there's this like, you don't have to get off in, into numbers or anything like this, but the word of, or the number of seven is the number of completion. And you can see God's drilling that over. When I speak and you obey, I will bring it to fruition. I will bring it to completion. It's God that's doing it to it. So you have to understand when God is calling you into a battle and he calls you into it, then you know that he has success for you on the other side. And then sometimes we get the questions as pastor, how do I know that I've been called into a battle? Are you in a battle? Then you've been called into it. Are you a person of God? Then God has already called you in there. And so you have to now let him guide you through that battle. Look at verse eight. 
when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. And all this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. And then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. And just so you know, this is a little bit different for us as Christians today. We don't necessarily have an Ark of a Covenant that we look to or, or put in front of us. But for the people of God at this time, it was a sign of the presence of God. And so what's actually happening is something very interesting, is that the real battle that is taking place for the people of Israel is that they are walking into something where they are physically vulnerable. Understand that when they walk around the city, and it takes, uh, some archaeologists say it takes about 30 to 45 minutes, but with the whole army and the procession and the Ark of the Covenant, it would take about an hour, that when they go around this thing, they're actually exposed because they don't have major shields. They don't have major armor to protect them. What they have is just the commandment of the Lord. And so really what they're doing is they're putting themselves in the hands of the Lord. Because they could easily just walk away and be safe, right? I can go to a safe distance, but that's not where God's called them. He's called them to confront their enemy and go right into the face of the enemy. But who are they trusting in more? That the enemy's not going to do something or are they trusting more than God's protection? They're trusting in God's protection. So we're going to go through storms in life, but we have to realize who goes before us. Notice the ark and the trumpets went first. Deuteronomy, like I said, remember the first five books would be the, the word and Joshua would be the application. Remember what Deuteronomy said, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And so you look at the ark and the use of the trumpets. It's to mark the presence of of God with his people. God is not up on a hill far away going, rooting for, I'm rooting for you. I'm really pulling for you. I hope things turn out good. Come back and let me know how it turns out. No, the Lord is going, I'm intimately involved. I'm right there. Just think about this. Who is leading them into battle? God. Who is leading the army of Israel? God. With what? The army of God, right? So it isn't like, Lord, I really hope you brought more than than, you know, just one angel. I hope you brought a bunch. You're like, I'm leading the army of God. And so it's not of, heaven, it's not of Israel, it's of heaven. And you understand that that's where your power comes from. And sometimes people go, if we could just look to heaven. No, look to who sits on the throne of heaven. Jesus Christ is looking in your life and going, what are you talking about? I'm not far away. I'm leading the battle right in front. I am the guy that goes front. You know, like you see the guy in the movie when the enemy's running or when the army's running away and there's always one guy that goes, no, follow me. And everybody turns from the retreat and one goes in because there was one hero. It shouldn't it be even more for us than we work with the person who defeated death who defeated the grave, who defeated Satan. That's who's leading our army. And so this reminds us to our third point of the importance of power and prayer as we walk into battle. Prayer reminds us to follow God's will, to rely on God's power, but it also reminds us that the battle actually belongs to the Lord. I want you to look at that word. The battle belongs to the Lord. The Lord showed up and I love what he says to Joshua in verse 2. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. If Joshua did not trust God, he could not see. But he looked at God and said, we already have victory. And I see it because you're here. So you know what he said? Hey, guys, the battle belongs to the Lord. Whatever the Lord says, let's do, let's do it. Because our, our battle really takes place in do we believe the Lord? Do you have faith in God? The God that's been faithful to you, do you have faith in him? I always, I always love talking to people in counseling and, and they're wrestling with, they think that God's abandoned them. God's far away from them. God's just, you know, not involved. Even no matter how the mess could be, the biggest mess they've ever made. And I go, but did God die for you on the cross? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, did God save you from the, snap, from the reach of hell? Like you were in the jaws of hell. Are you saved from that? Yes. 
So if God can do that, why couldn't he fix your marriage? If God could do that, why couldn't he fix your financial situation or your job situation? If God could do that, could he not fix your relationship with your children? Absolutely. And that's because the battle belongs to the Lord. But there's an anticipation that comes from this part, from this preparation, and it's God does something amazing, and he says, I want to remind you how important this battle is. It's not a physical preparation. It's a spiritual preparation. Look at verse 15 at chapter 5 one more time. It says, the commander of the Lord's army said, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. It's kind of amazing because it's hard for us sometimes to do it, but look what the Lord does immediately because it's the most important part. The battleground is the place of holiness where you allow the righteousness of God to be the most important thing in the battle. I'm not gonna compromise on that, which is why the Lord asked him to take off his sandals. One, it's a sign of reverence, but it's also a sign of, I'm not gonna go anywhere. I'm not gonna move until my Lord moves. Yeah, the battle's over here, but you know what? More importantly than anything, I need to meet with the general of the army of the Lord and find out what he wants to do before we go to battle. I'm not gonna go charging off. I want to do this. I want to be prepared spiritually because the battleground itself is holy. So I have to make sure that I am holy before I enter into this holy war, right? And so I can't go into a situation where I might lose my holiness or might, might lose my righteousness by going off in my flesh, by going off in my frustration or my fear. No, the preparation is this. Make God the center of the battle first. Lord, whatever you say goes because all my victory is in you. It is not in me. And so therefore, I put all my eggs in this basket. I have nothing but you. So where is holy ground? Holy ground could be at home right now. Holy ground could be at home where you're struggling and there's a battle at home. Holy ground could be at work. It could be at school. And we have to not look at it, there's like a pass fail for the battle, right? I think that we have to do is we have to understand and frame the battle this way. How is this going to bring glory to God? Doesn't that change how you look at the battle already? You get a call from the doctor, right? And he tells you something, okay, that's not great. But how is this going to be written into the story of God? How is this God's glory and righteousness going to be shown through this moment? And immediately, I'm not putting my eyes on the situation. Once again, we're putting our eyes on the God of our situation. And so we have to say this, my story is not my own, Lord. My story is yours. I'm going to concern myself with how you are writing it. Not how I'm dealing with it, how you're writing it. And so the most important part of Joshua's story, God's involvement. God's involvement. What's the most important part of your story? How is God involved in your life? That's why you have to understand that the battle belongs to the Lord because we have to understand what is at stake is not what we just want or just what we need. What is at stake is what is holy. A holy God cannot be affected or cannot be helped in our flesh. A holy God must be helped or affected by us being obedient to his word. Joshua did not hesitate. Look, see, I have already delivered Jericho into your hands. What is Joshua's participation? I hear you, Lord. I'm going to follow you into victory. Because you are victory. And so we have to think about this. And this is hard for me to do. Sometimes I'm, the moment that tragedy strikes, and I'm not even kidding. I w was just talking to our uh, midweek Bible study that we were going through the book of Isaiah. I've literally been blessed by God with a life-changing miracle. And the next calamity comes and I go, God, have you abandoned us? And I'm still holding on to the last miracle. And the Lord's like, really? We just won the last battle and you're thinking I'm gonna, I'm gonna bail out. You know, I just did an amazing work over here. I did all this amazingness and poured out my glory and my righteousness over here and now I'm gonna abandon you over here. No, it's time for part two. It's time for chapter two. Let's go together. And that's why we have to not ask ourselves, am I gonna pass or am I gonna fail? Or am I gonna live or am I gonna die? I should say the better question is, God, what is your plan and how will it bring you glory? Because you know that the Lord's not gonna let himself down, right? Has he ever let himself down? No, not every once. And so we must reframe how we charge into the battle. And you have to understand this. I've had wrong perception before, but this is something that this particular passage has woken me up to. You know, he is God and I am not, but neither is Jericho. So if you are in a battle today and you feel like you are being overwhelmed, maybe you need to start saying this. First, meet with God, but start speaking the name of God to your Jericho. Jericho, whatever it is, whatever battle you're facing, you don't have to face me 
you have to face God. And he's already promised victory. Remember what I was saying about Paul in our last teaching? I was saying Paul would say this, hey, go ahead and lock me up, throw me in a dungeon to live as Christ, to die as gain. I am with the Lord and the Lord has brought me in this battle. And remember what happened that night. Paul and Silas were thrown in a prison and immediately they started worshiping the Lord. Why? Because the Lord was their victory. And when everybody go, oh, you've lost, you failed, God has abandoned you. An earthquake came and destroyed the prison. Who would have known? Who would have guessed? But the Lord, right? So you could say, hey, I'm in a prison. But guess what? I'm not God, but neither is this prison. Prison, you must face this God. Look at verse 12. Joshua got up early the next morning, no doubt probably excited. And the priest took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord, blowing the trumpets. And the armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord. And while the trumpets kept sounding, so on the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and they did this for six days. I just want to put this in your mind. Um, This is a side note, but I want to put this slide up for you. God may call you to be in a vulnerable position so that you know he alone is your strength and protection. Some of you might be in this room and you're like, this sounds really good, Joey. This sounds great. I I hear the rah-rah speech. God is leading my army, but I don't really feel so rah-rah right now. I don't feel so like excited and pepped. I I actually feel like I'm in the middle of a battle and I'm losing And that could be because you feel super vulnerable in your position. I would say this, I've been in that position where I feel like I'm a little bit like, uh, forgive the phrase, but on the dark side of the moon. I feel like I'm the furthest away from God, but yet that's where the Lord has been doing the most work because in that place of like full vulnerability, right? Like I got nothing. I only got you. I only have you, God that I realize in that particular moment that my full strength and my full protection is in the Lord. Now, as they are walking around the city, remind you what God has asked them to do. He's asked them to remain quiet the entire time. And I think that's for a really good reason. I think it's because when they walked around, they could see that first wall. Remember the picture that we had up there? They could see that first wall, but then they could see that second wall. And they're like, if for whatever reason we made it over the first wall, how are we going to even make it past the second wall? This is an armed guard that is sitting on top of that. Even more so, if they're set up for sieges, you know sometimes sieges can take months or even years because they have enough food storage and water supply. How are we going to sit out here for years? I think that quiet contemplation would then turn their thoughts right back to the Lord and say, Lord, I hope you have a plan. I hope you have a strategy. But then they would be reminded, just like Joshua, that the Lord says, see, I've already delivered Jericho. I just want you to kind of savor this moment. Look at how weak you are, because in your weakness, I am made strong. You've crossed into the promised land. And yeah, that may be true. You might be entering into a place that is you feel like your destiny, might you feel entitled to it but you have nothing unless you have me. And so you have to understand that the Lord has already decided the battle, but he might just do this thing where he's working on your heart in the middle of it. Because the greatest victory that you can come out of it is not a promised land. The greatest victory isn't Jericho. The greatest victory is when Jesus becomes the center of your world. When Jesus is the center of your hope, that requires a lot for us to look one way because we could be in the middle of something that is overwhelming. I don't know if you remember, Peter steps out of the boat. Remember that Jesus called the disciples into the waves and it's Peter that gets out of the boat. And when Peter is eyes locked on Jesus Christ, he walks out on the very thing that should be crushing and killing him. And what does that moment become? A glorious moment between Jesus and Peter. And it isn't until he takes his eyes off Jesus that he slips into the water. And who rescues him still the same? Jesus. We can be in that particular place where we're walking out of the wilderness and we can see the promised land right in front of us, but then right when we get there, there's a battle. And that's because the enemy doesn't want you to have victory in the Lord. And you could be tested and the testing could reveal inside of you a moment. You're in a fork in the road. Do I trust the Lord at his word? That's why we can't trust what we always see, which is why I believe 1 Corinthians says it this way. For now we see in a mirror dimly. This is 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. 
Now I know in part that I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. You know what that scripture is really about? You know what that scripture is really saying? In the particular moment, and we can always say this, hindsight's twenty twenty. But have you ever been in the middle of something and been like, God, I, this is wacky nunu. I have no idea. I don't even know like, if I'm gonna survive this. I know you called me into this, but I don't, this doesn't even make any sense. And then have you come to the other side of it and then have been so in love with God because he pulled you out of it and so enriched and, and just like glowing with Christianity because you're like, my God loved me and my God rescued me. Oh, that's why he pulled me through this particular moment. But you weren't that person when you went in. You were not that person when you went in. What had to be removed, what had to be taken away was your perception and your vision that what is in front of you is bigger than your God. That had to be destroyed. That had to be taken down a couple of notches because we can tend to do that. We can tend to be that kind of person that's glass half empty, right? In that moment, and the Lord is saying this, don't you understand that I'm in control? Just think about this. In every situation, God is inevitable. What's going to stop God? Can even your poor vision stop God? Did it stop Jesus Christ from walking out of the waves, even though he knew Peter was going to take his eyes off of him and slip into the water? Did that stop Jesus Christ? No, in fact, Jesus Christ reached down in the water, pulled Peter back in the boat, and said, let's get back to work. Yeah, you, you may have had a funky moment there, but guess what? I'm not done with you, and the battle is not done until I say it's gone. Understand this, our humility before God moves our heart to obedience. You have to say that, once again, I'm not God, he is God. I gotta trust him, and I have to be put in a position where he can shape me and mold me into the very image of God by trusting him who he is. But that means I have to surrender to him. That means I have to even surrender my fear to him. That means I have to surrender what my imagination is coming up with. Have you ever been laying in bed at night and have that pit stomach feeling where you can't even get to sleep because you hurt so bad because you're so afraid? You don't know how things are going to turn out. You feel so hopeless and so helpless. And yet God was still inevitable in your situation and you're sitting here today to the glory of God. We are all stepping into the unknown. Your whole entire life is one moment after a next moment, succession of moments of unknown, of mystery. But do you understand that when you face those moments, God already knows? Just think about this. God has never once sweat or lost sleep over your nights or your situation or your fear. He's just moved forward in quiet grace and just blessed you. How I know is because if I were to be blown up for every mistake or every time I disbelieve God or any time I was in fear or every time I've retreated, you would be known, like, look at all the lightning bolts that are hitting Joey. My goodness, it happens like 20 times a week. But then the Lord reminds us of this. There's two commands that are put to us in the battle. First, you must put God first. And then second, you must surrender your will to his. First, you must put God first, and then second, you must surrender your will to his. If you didn't surrender your will to his, then you would be the one Jew that would be standing next to Joshua and be like, I'm not walking around the building. I'm not walking, that's dumb. That's absolutely crazy. That's unbelievable. In fact, we're gonna become a mockery of the world, and how many times has Christian faith been the mockery of the world, yet God was still inevitable, and he worked out his will, and we're still standing here. 2,000 years later, the church is still standing because of the will of the Lord. How many times has the church been persecuted? How many times has the church been crushed? And how many times in the midst of that persecution, the church has flourished because of the spirit of the Lord says, oh, that's fine, the battle belongs to me. Look at these two verses on the screen. This is something I remind myself at the beginning of every prayer before every battle. Matthew 6.33 says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Before you even step into the battle, what is God concerned of? Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Let's get right before each other. We know God's good. It's us that has to do the changing. And look at the second part of that verse. What does it say? And all these things will be added to you. Yeah, but God, I need you to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get right with each other first. Yeah, but God, you don't understand what that phone call was like. No, 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 no. You and I, let's sit, let's talk. Let's take sandals off, let's meet. And I want you to recalibrate yourself so that you see that I'm the biggest thing in your life. I'm the most amazing thing in your life. 
Look at then James 4.10 says it this way, humble yourself before the Lord or surrender yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. These ideas of great humility are just like this. I must be meek before the Lord and listen so that I can see his greatness. If I'm too busy talking, I'm not too busy listening. And some of the times that, I, that, that things are going crazy is when I'm trying to tell God how to do his job. Turns out really, really bad. And that's why John would say it this way, we must decrease so God can increase. Who needs an increase of the Lord in their life? It's time for us to decrease. It's time for us to decrease. But look at that. Look at those two underlying parts. The sprinkles on the ice cream, put God first. All these things will be added to you. Humble yourself before the Lord, which means go low. And what does the Lord do? He lifts you up. It's amazing. Look at verse 15 as we continue on. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. Remember the, the number of completion. And then the seventh time they were around and the priest sounded the trumpet blast and Joshua commanded the army, shout, now talk. Now that you've had six days of quiet, now shout. For the Lord has given you the city and the city and that all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into the treasury. And when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, whoa, that's crazy, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. And they devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword everything, every living thing in it, men, women, young and old, cattle and sheep and donkeys. Now you could read this last verse. I'm just going to address it quickly because we don't have a lot of time. And this can make you flinch, especially when you read it out. They just like annihilate everything. But I want to remind you, God didn't all of a sudden wake up like one day and just be, you know, like didn't have breakfast. He was a little hangry by 10 a.m. when he met with Joshua. He was like, by the way, we're going to destroy everybody in there. Like, I'm just so mad at them. No, understand that the people of Canaan, they knew about God. They were aware of God's people. They had seen the miracles of the Lord. In fact, God was very slow to wrath with Canaan. I want you to look at Genesis 15, 16, because this actually reports it. In the, four generations, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, talking about coming back to Canaan, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. The people of the Amorites actually knew about God and still chose to live a selfish and sinful lifestyle that was so debaucherous that, that there was no redeemable thing about them. They lived in such a way that they were so deep in the occult, they had sick practices. And some of those sick practices are documented, but I want to let you know the Lord wasn't like, you know, like just today, just get these, move these people that are squatting in our territory. Let's move them out. No, this wasn't about real estate. This was about the full measure. These people had a chance. They had an off-ramp from their sin. And guess what? They chose to, in the face of the Lord, say, no, not your way, but my way. And so the Lord is saying, we have, to, we have to get rid of the sin. We have to start over. Now look at verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. And they brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside of the camp of Israel. I just want to show you something kind of amazing. There's two different kind of people here. There's Joshua and the Israelites. And you can look at them and go, well, of course they're blessed by God. Those are the people of God, right? And they love the Lord and they have the Ark of the Covenant and they got these cool priests that have these great clothes and they're blowing trumpets. They must be on fire for the Lord and that must be who God cares about. But there's a second group and it's Rahab and her family. And both of these people, the Jews, the chosen people of God, are moving from a place where they have a great relationship with the Lord. God's led them through the wilderness. But there's a new family here that's about to join their family. And this is a pagan prostitute who has heard and seen the work of the Lord and said, he is God. 
And yet God has thought enough of her that of the entire wall that was to be destroyed, her part was the only part that would stand at all. And why was that? Because she put the scarlet cord that the spies had asked her to put there. I just want to remind you, this is a particular place where God holds his covenant to his people. God is intimately involved in Rahab's life. And that means this, no matter where you are in the battle, we fight alongside God from a place of victory. And that's our next point. We fight along God's side from a place of victory. Do you understand that we're not fighting to victory with God? Now God's like, let's go take the hill and maybe we'll win the day. No, God said this, see this, I've already delivered Jericho. And remember what he said to Rahab, who's on the wall, well, 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 what in the world? Am I gonna get blown up? I love, I love God. She's like coming out with the I love Jesus shirt, right? You know, she's like, I'm playing for this team. What are you doing? So the Lord says this, I will honor this because you have heard and seen my power and you have responded justly. I will pull you forward in my grace. And who would have thought this entire wall would come down that he would save this one section of the wall, that his wrath would be poured out on all, but yet would be saved for one. And so we have to understand this, that God is a man of his word, but he's also a pourer out of his promises through his grace. 13 trips around the, the city of Israel, or sorry, sorry, the city of Jericho. And they saw this to be true. But imagine the effect that it had on the Jews when they saw the person who called God from their belief. It wasn't, it wasn't because they were born in Israel, right? They wasn't, it was because they were born in that nation. They had that culture. This is somebody who's just responding out of what? Faith, out of heart. It's not just something we feel. It's something that we see in God's planning in our lives. And we have to see this, that both Joshua and Israel and Rahab and her family, we see the amazing miracle in their life. But what do we see more than that? God's glory. When you see a pagan prostitute's house sitting on top of a wall when it should have been destroyed, what do you say at that point? God must be so good. God must be so good. God can do so much with a person of faith and obedience than he can do with somebody without any. Is there anybody with faith and obedience to the Lord in this room tonight? So whatever you're facing, and I want you to understand this, Rahab was, really didn't have anything to do but sit and wait and, under, and see if the Lord was gonna be a man of his word, right? The army's coming, they're walking around. Remember what she said? That our people's hearts are melting from fear because we heard 40 years ago how you walk through the Red Sea and we heard about that. And then we heard you destroyed another army just a couple weeks ago. And now you're here. Imagine what they were thinking. How did they walk through the Red Sea? Now they're just walking quietly around our building. I don't know what to do. Think of the people. Like Rahab's like, these people are magical. These people have some phenomenal power. They're not even throwing anything. They're not yelling. They're just quietly walking around. I can only trust that God is a man of his word. And some of us are going into the doctor's office and we're saying the same thing. I can only trust that God is a man of his word. Some of us are, have lost relationships or broken situations and we're like, I have no way to fix this. I have nothing left. I hope that you are a man of your word. And I want you to hear what God's word looks like to a man like David who sat in a cave who was anointed to be the king, but then his king was trying to kill him. And he's like, what? I've lost my nation. I've lost everything. I'm gonna die in a cave. But the Lord said this to him, Psalms 46. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. And I will be exalted among the nations. And I will be exalted in the earth. You know, David's life is pretty miraculous, isn't it? A lot of amazing things happen in and around David's life. But who gets the glory? God, every single time. What is a Christian without Christ? What is a Christian warrior without the power of the Holy Spirit? When we walk into a battle, we must walk in with quiet surrender to a plan that God has already worked out. We are not God. We can't see the future. We don't even know how to handle these things spiritually, and yet we are called to walk with God nonetheless. You have to see this. Look what the calling looks like in, in verse 24. They could have easily taken the city and taken everything in, but look at 24. It says that they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold in the articles of bronze and iron in the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute. Rahab's moving on faith, isn't she? She's got nothing. She doesn't even have the old city. She only has her faith in God. And she's trusting that the God inside of Joshua will treat her good. 
with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent and the spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. You understand this, that when we go into the battle, there is no compromise. There is no half-stepping, as they like to say. Is there any way that you can go into a battle when the enemy wants to kill you and destroy you casually? Can you casually go into that battle? No, you have to go in with the full power and the full might to crush the enemy. But whose power and whose might is that? The Lord's. And so I want you to see this. At no point did Rahab compromise, right? Once she was locked in with the Lord, all of her faith went into the Lord. And so spiritual compromise or spiritual death happens at one compromise at a time, right? What we compromise on today will make us easier to like, just bank left when God told us to go right, right? If, if, I, if I ignore the Lord today, how much easier is it to ignore him a month from now when he calls me into something great? And so this is how victory looked for Rahab, and this is how victory looked like for Joshua. Look at two different people, two different walks of life. They heard the Lord, they trusted the Lord, they followed the Lord. There was no neutral. And just think about this. The way, that jo- the way that the Lord presented himself to Joshua was a commander of the army with his sword drawn. The Lord saying, I'm about to kick some booty in this place, but because my sword is drawn, not because yours is. Look at verse 26. It says, at that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild the city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations, and at the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. And so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. You just think about this. At no point in this time, and just so you know, this particular curse does come true later on in the Bible, but at no point in this particular chapter, chapter did Israel compromise, did they? And they got a meat immediate and total victory when they followed to the T, the obedience to the word of the Lord, right? But there's going to be a time through the book of Joshua, through the book of Judges, even through other parts of the Bible where Israel doesn't listen to the Lord and what happens? Everything falls apart. Um, I just want to say this to you right now. This is a great Bible passage and this is wonderful and this instill inside of you a confidence and a faith and a hope. But I just want to challenge you today. If you're in this room, And even though these words are inspiring, it's still hard for you to get your thoughts to line up with the Lord, right? Like fear and anxiety are taking over because you're in the middle of a battle. Just want you to know that the Lord has come to be your deliverer. The reason why you're exhausted, the reason why you're fighting the battle and falling apart is because you can't deliver yourself. You need a deliverer. And Jesus Christ has come to you to this day and said, I will be that deliverer for you if you would surrender to me. I want you to look at two verses that we're going to put on the screen. Jeremiah 32 says this, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. That includes everybody in this room. So when he's declaring himself God, he's declaring himself God over every single person. Is anything too hard for me? Have you ever asked yourself that in the middle of your prayer? Is this thing too hard for God? I want to bring you to a next verse. Isaiah 26, three through four says this. You will keep in perfect peace those whose mind are steadfast because they trust in you. That's verse three. Um, I just want you to know, I went to a couple uh, Christian bookstores this past year and I noticed they have these on cups and pillows and posters, like a little kitty hanging on a wire, right, you know? And it has this little line. They never go to verse four and I think verse four just makes it legendary. Look at it. Trust in the Lord forever For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. You know, when you're in the middle of a storm, you need that rock, don't you? And he has just declared himself in your life the rock that never moves. Cling to me and I will hold you up. I will support you. I will lift you up. I want you to know something. I have been in a place where I thought I was going to die. I've been in a place where I literally thought my life was going to go, and the Lord has said this to me, you have nothing, but you have me, so you have everything. Cling to me. That's all you ever need. And I just let you know, you are in a battle, but understand that that battle is a holy ground, that the Lord is willing to pour out all of his righteousness for your sake and his sake. And so tonight, we move into a battle. I want you to say this, you are my commander, Lord. You go into battle, you lead the battle. The battle belongs to you. I surrender myself. I'm gonna follow you to victory. So we're just gonna take a moment. I know we're going a little bit over, 
But I want everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you need to at this particular time, if you need to make a time and a space for you to surrender your battle to the Lord, now is your time. We're going to ask for the Lord to say, you know what? I know that there has been a purpose for this moment. I haven't been trusting you. I haven't been relying on you like I should, Lord. So today, I confess that. Today, I'm calling on you as Lord and commander of the Lord of the, of the army of the Lord. And I will just say this. What you are producing in me is a reliance on your power, is a reliance on your presence, a reliance on your grace. I know you love me. And even though I struggle with the outcome and even though I struggle with how you're handling it, I trust you. Lord, if you could provide me salvation, if you could lift me up to heavenly places, then you sure can affect all of my situations for your glory. Lord, let my life become a testimony to your greatness. Yes, I have a great need, and yes, I need relief. But Lord, let you have all the grace, let you have all the glory, have everything belong to you because you are worthy to be praised. You're the only one who can deliver me by your power, but you're also the only one willing to deliver me. And so I trust you, and I lay my heart on you, and I will say this to you right now, Lord, I will keep you in perfect peace. I will keep my mind locked on you, even though that's hard, because I trust you. Even though my faith might be shaky, I trust you more than all. And I will rest upon the rock that never moves, the rock eternal. And so enemy, you have been defeated. Christ has been raised from the dead, and that same power that raised Christ from the dead, now dwells in me. I speak that power to whatever battle that I have, whatever stronghold that is in my life, whatever chains that are holding me down. I speak the name of Jesus Christ to them and say, I am a blood-bought child of God. I am sealed in the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, I do not control what is about to happen, but you, whatever that thing is, has to face Jesus. And I now turn it over. I cast all my cares and my burdens on him, and I find peace there. He does the work that I cannot because he is loving enough and willing enough and compassionate enough to reach down from heaven to lift me up. I submit. I rest in you. There is nothing too hard for you, Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen.